Have a great time learning about the Lord there. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Acts this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 6. That's the fifth book in the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we come to the book of Acts. So if you're using one of the Bibles, just like this one, that we provided in the rows for you, that will be page 914. And if you are uh, new to Redemption Hill, or even if you're not, and you do not currently own a Bible or just want a, a, an updated version, uh, we have free Bibles on our resource table uh, every week. You can take one of those. It's our gift to you uh, this morning. So we would encourage, uh, encourage that. Well, it's good to see everyone uh, this morning in church. Uh, I'm always encouraged to come and worship God, not only for my own devo- devotion to the Lord, but also it's an encouragement when we gather with others who are saying, hey, we want to devote time out of our week to really focus together on who God is, what he's done, and why he is worthy of our praise and worship. Well, you might not be surprised that not everyone in our culture holds this same value. In New England, for example, and this statistic is quite alarming, only roughly two and a half to three percent of the population attends an evangelical church on any given Sunday. Okay, so that's, that's a church like Redemption Hill that is preaching the gospel, believing the Bible is God's word, saying we need to live it out in a missional kind of way. Only roughly two and a half to three percent attend an evangelical church. Now, Why is that? There are a lot of reasons. I'm sure you know. You are probably in that boat at some point in your life, many of you. And then uh, others of you have many friends who you've probably invited to church, and you've heard many different reasons why people choose not to come. Hey, I'm too busy. My work schedule is too much. I have too many other things going on on Sunday morning. Don't you know it's my one day to sleep in? You hear kind of that set of reasons reasons. Uh, Or you might hear something like this, Christians are so hypocritical, Christians are so judgmental, Christianity is so restrictive. And then there is another underlying reason that many people would point to and say, hey, this is another reason I choose not to come to any church because I can kind of be, you know, spiritual on my own. I don't need to be in a church. They would say that Church is kind of uh, really an institutional power grab. In, in other words, the church exists to create structures to kind of control and suppress people, and who wants to be a part of that after all? Have you ever heard some of these reasons, excuses? Perhaps even if you use one of those invite cards that we placed in your worship guide this week, and you invite a friend to bring Sunday next Sunday, you might hear one or two of these reasons uh, when you invite someone to join us next Sunday. But here's what really makes me so sad and puzzles me so much about these reasons, particularly about this last reason, oh, the church is an institutional power grab. Well, you see, people begin to think Christianity is defined by the church or what the church looks like instead of being defined by Jesus, okay? So 
Jesus defines Christianity, not the church, okay? And what do I mean by that? Um, You see, following Jesus means loving God and loving people. Roughly 80% of unchurched people, okay, people that consistently do not attend church, say that they believe Christianity is more about organized religion than it is about loving God or loving people. This was a survey back in 2008. And so if they understood what following Jesus meant, that it really is about loving God and loving people, they wouldn't need to, to... to go looking for something better because we'll never find a better Jesus. And if the church is not promoting that, then I would say go find a better church that is promoting the real Jesus. You hear that rationale? Now, additionally, what is so staggering about this kind of sentiment, attitude toward the church is that we have the eternal Son of God, the one who forever received glory, forever received worship, who became a man, took on human flesh like us. He walked our streets, ate our food, shed our tears with an infinite amount of humility. So when someone says, well, the church is an institutional power grab, we point to Jesus and we say, well, look at the founder of the church, the head, the leader of the church. He did not come, as he said in Mark 10, 45, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So then it should not surprise us. When we look at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the story of the early church after Jesus resurrected and ascended to the Father to see that just like Jesus was a servant to those and ultimately sacrificed his life as the greatest act of service that for everyone who believes in him, they might have eternal life, we find a serving people who are coming behind Jesus in the same manner, serving one another, serving those around them and serving the kingdom of God. And so in Acts chapter 6, we see this continue, and what we find here is the early stages of what seems to be the office of the New Testament deacon, okay? There are two offices in the church, in, in a biblical healthy church, okay? You have elders, also known as pastors, and then you also have a group of servants known as deacons. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about deacons who are servants in God's church. Now, why are we talking about deacons this morning? I mean, this is kind of one of just a few miscellaneous texts. We're not in a series this week, okay? We'll start a new series on relationships next week. Why would I choose to go to the book of Acts and talk about deacons, servants in the church this morning? Well, if you look at our uh, 2014 vision you would know that we want to add deacons as part of the ministry of Redemption Hill Church. We set that out as a goal at the beginning of this year. So I want to take opportunity this morning to talk about who deacons are, what they do, and how they are so valuable in the life of the church, okay? Um, what, I'm, what we're going to see from Acts 
chapter 6 is this, that God provides deacon servants to meet needs and distribute his love in his church. Simple as that. God provides deacon servants to meet needs and distribute his love in his church. Okay, so the context of the book of Acts, after Jesus rises from the dead, he says to his disciples, hey, hang out in Jerusalem and wait there because I am going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. Peter and the apostles stand up. They start preaching about Jesus, and it says that roughly 3,000 were added to their number that day. And at the end of chapter 2, it says that day by day, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, breaking of the bread, it says that they added to their number day by day. The word of God was going forth. People were hearing about Jesus. They were believing in Jesus, and God was adding to their number day by day. Even in the midst of persecution, even when they were in prison, the apostles would say stuff like this, hey, you might tell us to be quiet, but we need to obey God rather than you, so we're going to keep talking about Jesus. So that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Luke writes, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is this, as it relates to the the ministry of deacons. Growing churches need a growing number of servants to meet specific needs in the life of the church. We see in these two verses that there was a specific need that arose in the church. There were widows who were to be receiving the distribution of, of food, and there was a group of widows that were being overlooked, Now, we can safely assume, I believe, that this was unintentional on the behalf of the apostles, but they were stretched so thin, their time was stretched so thin as they were out proclaiming the word of God and taking care of the ministry of the word that as the ministry of physical needs piled up in the church, they only had so much time to devote to these needs. And it just so happens that some in the church were overlooked. And so it was beautiful that the church is growing and, 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 and people are coming to Christ and being saved. But as we often see, sometimes God's blessings lead to an avenue for Satan to creep in and begin to do his work as well. And so these two verses told us that there was complaining going on in the church by the Hellenists, okay? Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews who were influenced by Greek culture, and they were complaining because the, the, the Hebrew Christians, okay, the, the, they, were, uh, they spoke Aramaic and they were influenced by Hebrew coach, culture. They were receiving the food while their widows were not receiving the food. And so you can begin to see some, some disharmony, some disunity in the church, all that was precipitated by this oversight of administration. So this, this situation then, gives rise to what 
I believe and many others believe is kind of a prototype of the, the New Testament deacon that we see later in Paul's letters, okay? Now, we won't find the word deacons in this passage, but we do see the, the word in verb form in verse 2 when the apostles say, hey, it's not right for us <coughs> that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word serve there is the, the, the verb form of diakonos, okay? Diakonain is what it says there in the Greek, which is where we get our word deacon. So we can see that, that Acts 6 seems to be laying the foundation for the church's understanding of the ministry of deacons, which Paul and others would look back and say, okay, this is what the apostles established in Jerusalem, and so we naturally want to copy that as we go on our missionary journeys and plant churches all across the world. Now, what were the roles and responsibilities of deacon? Well, if the, the word deacon means servant, then it's not surprising that we would say, okay, deacons are to provide leadership over the service-oriented functions of the church, okay? They meet practical needs in the life of a church, just like this group of Christians had widows that were receiving food and care. It was a ministry of mercy to them. They needed people to take up those responsibilities and to fulfill them so that everything was being taken care of and everyone, more importantly, was being taken care of in God's church. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly, okay? It's not that the apostles who were out preaching God's word saw serving tables as inferior work, okay? Hey, we're the apostles. We get to preach. We get to, you know, be on the stage and tell everybody about Jesus. And, you know, these lowly kind of servants, they just go distribute bread and, you know, take care of widows. And that's inferior work. By no means is the text suggesting that serving in the church is inferior to a speaking role or speaking gift in the church. And you say, well, Tanner, can you like build that argument a little bit? Well, have you ever heard of the apostle John? He took care of a widow named Mary. You may remember her as the mother of Jesus when Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said, behold to John, your mother. So we can safely assume that John, even in the midst of all of his preaching and sharing the gospel, was certainly caring for a widow daily named Mary. So this is not inferior work, but what we see, and this is what we want to see happen in the life of this church and other churches that are plants around Boston, as Todd shared last week, is that we want to serve in our areas of gifting and calling and ability. You see that? Some people are gifted by God to speak the word, teach the word, and some are gifted in other service-oriented ways. But what I love about this is that all of our work matters to God. There is no responsibility in God's church that, that is insignificant to God. So it doesn't mean, it matter if it's a pastor preaching on Sunday morning or those of us, including pastors often at Redemption Hill, who are stacking chairs after the service. All of our work matters to God. Why? Because it's all for him. And it's all to build his kingdom on earth as he works through us. 
So if you are serving at Redemption Hill, hanging pipe and drape, putting out Bibles, keeping rows really nice and straight, you know, so people can walk in and not trip over uh, everything when, you know, like, all of this work matters to God. And let me say this too, all of our work is people work. You see, speaking the word is to help people connect to God and find out what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But why do we set out chairs? Why do we put Bibles in the rows? Why do we uh, do all that we do, send out newsletters on Wednesday and hold barbecues on Monday night? By the way, it's not tonight, it's tomorrow night. Hope you caught that in the newsletter, okay? Make plans, be there tomorrow night. Uh, Why do we do all the administrative details for that? It's because we want people to connect with one another and to find ways into the life of the church so that they can know who Jesus is and find life in him. So no matter what your serve role is, whether it's working with children on Sunday mornings or helping out with first impressions or music and media or the hundreds of other ways that you can serve in the life of the church through community groups and other avenues, it's all people work. It's all to be in servant-hearted love for other people. We're all in the game together. The goal in Acts chapter 6 was for the word to go forth and for physical needs also to be met in the church and not neglected. Does everyone see what's happening here in the first two verses? We got it? We good? Nod your head like this with me. Okay, that's very good. Now, let me say this. In some respects, our church is three and a half years old, pretty awesome what God has done in a short amount of time, and yet we do not have the ministry of deacons currently fulfilled in the life of Redemption Hill. Now, part of me says, man, that's too bad, and that's not great leadership on my part, our part. We could have done better. We could have implemented this sooner, and perhaps some of that is true. I would say we've kind of prioritized some other needs first, but as I read Acts chapter 6, it encourages me because what we see here is the church is growing, and as, as needs are expanding, you need servants to come in and, and help boost the, the ministry that is happening in the life of a church, okay? You see that? So, so if you're a part of Redemption Hill, you have, and if you've been a part for very long, you have seen how our church has steadily grown over time, which means the needs are steadily rising, which means we need more people serving to help assist with the needs of ministry in Redemption Hill. Okay, and so don't, don't hear me saying, okay, a church of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 doesn't need deacons. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in order for a church to be healthy and meet needs around them and to be released for the ministry of the word, deacons are needed in increasing significance, okay? So growing churches need a growing number of servants to meet specific needs in the life of the church. But how did they meet those needs? That's where we pick up in verses three through six, and we see that growing churches choose godly people for the important work of deacons. Read those verses with me, if you will. Luke continues writing, And it says, the apostles say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. All right, so let's ask a few questions as we work our way through this text. It's always a good idea to understand what's happening. Just ask a lot of questions of the text, okay? Number one, who chose these seven men to serve? Was it the apostles? Was it? No. It wasn't the apostles. The apostles took the lead, but they told the congregation, right? They had called the disciples together, and they said, brothers, you pick out from among you seven men who can serve in this capacity. So uh, let me just explain how this is going to work at Redemption Hill, okay? The elders will encourage and invite our church membership to give input and, and thoughts on, man, we see that these people are, are really showing the gifts of service already in our church. And not only that, but they meet the character qualifications that we find in the New Testament. Hey, maybe uh, we should consider them as a church family to serve in the role as deacons, okay? We're constantly evaluating these things as pastors, but we also want to welcome involvement from our congregation. And why is that? Well, it's because exactly what we see in Acts chapter 6. It wasn't the apostles calling all the shots. It's not the pastors who call all the shots in Redemption Hill. In fact, we are a church that is actually ruled over in the most important matters like who leads our church, pastors, deacons, what our church budget looks like at the end of the day. All of that is affirmed by our membership, which is one reason why we encourage people to explore church membership in in Redemption Hill. Now, not only did the the church choose these seven, but it also says in verse 5, and I love this, it says that what they said pleased the whole gathering. So you can see that there's leadership that is, that is praying and, and, and making suggestions to the church, but the church is saying, you know what? Hey, we see the wisdom in that. We think that will be good for our church. And so that is what we are going to do to follow through on meeting these needs in the life of our church. So that is who chooses Now, you might ask another question, well, then, who should we choose? And this is laid out in Acts 6 and another passage that we'll look at in just a moment. Now, look back in verse 3. It says, pick out from among you seven men of what? Good repute, good reputation. Number two, they're full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in those who follow Christ. And so they are, they are people who are characterized by the spirit of Jesus that are producing the fruit of Jesus out of their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, wisdom, boldness, humility, and on and on we could go. Okay, number three, they were full of wisdom. So there's not only spiritual character there, but there is also practical wisdom. Hey, they know how to navigate life's situations and circumstances and can meet needs when circumstances make change in around them. And then finally, it also says they are full of faith. I love that. So, so they, they are walking by the Spirit. They are walking in faith. They are trusting God day by day to live the Christian life. But then if you would turn to 1 Timothy 3. It's page 992. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you. 
And in verse 8, Paul lays out the qualifications for a deacon. He had just described qualifications for elders in verses 1 through 7, and now he is going to what deacons should look like in the life of a church. Here's what he says. Deacons likewise must be dignified, characteristic number one. In other words, they must be worthy of respect. When people look at a deacon, they can say, you know what, that is someone that I can look up to and respect because they love and worship God in a consistent manner. Number two, they're not double-tongued. In other words, there is sincerity and integrity in what they say. Number three, they're not addicted to much wine, okay? They're, they're not drunkards. They're, uh, they're above reproach in their use of alcohol if they choose to use alcohol in any fashion. Number four, they're not greedy for dishonest gain. So they practice wisdom and self-control in the area of personal finances. They really care about how they steward God's resources that he has entrusted to them. Number five, they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They so consistently live out the truths of Christianity that they can have a clear conscience. They're they're freed, uh, in a sense, from uh, their conscience continually saying, hey, why did you uh, have this thought? Go this place, um, speak in this kind of way, do this kind of action, right? That's why God has given us a conscience, this kind of moral guide or judge to keep us in line with his ways. So he does that by his spirit. So those are the first five qualifications, but then he continues in verse 10, and he says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So for every deacon that we affirm in the life of our church, there will be, it's not just like, hey, we think they'll be a good deacon, let's just go ahead and like vote them in as a membership family. No, we will have a due diligence process. Just like when we added John Reddy as a third elder, we didn't say, oh, John's been in ministry before. You know what? He would be a good pastor. Let's just kind of sign off on that, okay? And if you've spent any time with John, you know that wouldn't be a very wise move. You know, you want to spend a little time, get to know John. That's a joke, okay? John's great. We love John. That's why he's one of our elders, okay? But, but you get the point, right? We, 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 we love John enough and we loved our church enough to say, hey, tell us about your life. Tell us about your marriage. Are you loving your family well? How are you, how are you in your devotional life? Are you walking in holiness? All of these things matter. So for our deacons, we will have an examination process as well. And the goal for a deacon is that they would be considered blameless. This means they're above reproach, that a, that a charge cannot be brought against them in any way that would defame their character or bring reproach on the cause of Christ. Number eight, it says that they should be the husband of one wife. Verse 12, and it says that they should manage their children and households well. In other, in other words, they should be faithful to their wife. They should be a one-woman kind of man, and they should be able to lead their home well, manage their household well, and care for their children well. Now, you notice I skipped over verse 11, which says, their wives, or there is a footnote probably in your Bible that says it could also be translated, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, 
faithful in all things. Now you say, okay, Tanner, why did you skip over that? Now why are you coming back to it? Well, here's, re- here's the reason. Churches are divided over whether or not this phrase in verse uh, 11 means the wives of deacons, male deacons who are serving in the church, or if it gives opportunity for women to serve in the role as deacons in the life of the church. It is the position of our elders and the position of our church that Paul here is giving space and opportunity for women to serve as deacons in the life of the church. Now, there are pretty good arguments on both sides of this. If you look at the text and, and, and wrestle with it to say, okay, maybe, maybe Paul is limiting it to men or maybe he's opening up to women. You say, well, Tanner, why then does Redemption Hill are we going to have women deacons, also known as deaconesses, if you want to get fancy with your terminology? Why is that? Okay, well, the primary reason, I would say, in looking at this and in terms of the different arguments that are presented, I would say this. If you look at the qualifications for an elder, you see nothing about his wife. So why would Paul then raise the stakes for deacons when elders are the primary leaders and teachers in the church. Like, okay, elders, your wives isn't, you know, clearly stated that they need to have these characteristics, but deacons, oh, you do. This doesn't seem to add up to me. Now, again, there are, there are good arguments on both sides of this, but we think from what Paul is saying here in the context, as well as just the nature of the role of deacons being servants in God's church, we see plenty of room for the office of deacon to be shared by both men and women. So for women deacons in the life of Redemption Hill, we would want to see that they are dignified, worthy of respect, not slanderers. They speak words of truth to build others up, not to tear others down. They're sober-minded. They exercise wise judgment, clear thinking. And I love this one, ladies, strive for this, faithful in all things. I mean, does that not sum it up? Like reliable, consistent, trustworthy, so walking with God that we can look to them and say, hey, they are faithful in all things. These are the qualifications that Paul sets out. And what he is doing is just saying this, there should be for any leader in God's church, any servant in God's church, there should be such a clear integrity and uh, characteristic of godliness that someone can look at their life and say, you know what, this person is clearly following Jesus and so much so that I could follow their pattern of life and be on a clear path of following Jesus myself. That's what Paul is after. So let me challenge everyone. You say, well, Tanner, man, I I came this Sunday and you know what, man, I've never even heard about deacons before and why are we talking about this? I know it's one of the goals, but this does like seem very relevant to me, you know, and where I am in my walk with God. Let me just say this, okay? If you only came and heard these characteristics, what Paul sets out for what a godly servant in the church looks like, I mean, that's a win. You know what I'm saying? Because here's the deal. Everyone in this church, everyone should want these characteristics to be true of your life. So you just like take these lists that we find in the New Testament and measure your life up against these characteristics. 
Strive for these characteristics. Pray for yourself. Pray for those around you. God, would you make us dignified? Would you make us above reproach, blameless? Would you help us to use sound speech and live in ways that are so consistent that we would be faithful in all things? I mean, what happens if we are a church full of people, not just kind of, you know, 10, 20% of the people that are, you know, kind of living this thing out, but if we're a group of people that really get like what we talked about in James, all day, every day kind of Christians, man, the light of Christ is going to blaze forth from this church. And that's the goal. I mean, what else does glorify God mean? You like that, don't you? That's good. What is it? I mean, glory means we are reflecting his worth, his perfections. We shine him forth. We're reflecting who he is. And that is why we exist as Christians, and that is why this church exists as well. So, that's who should serve as deacons, but what do they do? It's kind of an important question, I would say. So what what do deacons do, okay? Now, churches, again, take different approaches, and there's actually a lot of freedom in the New Testament for how churches fulfill the role of deacons, but let me just give you two thoughts, okay? Number one, we want our deacons to exercise a general set of responsibilities that will basically mean meeting practical needs of mercy in the life of our church. Perhaps there will be widows who need care and food, those who are poor or sick, who need some attention, some mercy, some kindness, some grace from God through his people. And deacons will serve in that way, in general ways to assist our elders and our staff who are our community leaders who are already caring for people in those ways. But number two, we also will have specific roles for each of our deacons. This is the vision that we have, okay? So we may have a deacon of hospitality. There is a lot of things that we do that in, involve hosting people and, and uh, exercising grace and, 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 and kindness when we gather for events. Okay, hospitality is more than setting out food, by the way, all right? Maybe not less than that oftentimes, depending on the event. But, you know, our, our, our elders and our, our staff team, we can't do everything unless we start to neglect the ministry of the Word. So think about that in each of these instances. We may have a deacon of finance, a deacon of benevolence ministry, helping oversee the benevolence ministry in the life of our church, a deacon of child care. You say, well, that, that seems silly. Like, what, can't we all take care of kids? Well, I just want to tell you, every time we have a connections class, every time we have uh, events in the life of our church that require people to come to meetings, you know what? It takes time for us to say, okay, who on our staff is going to take care of this? Or are we following up? I mean, what happens if we can release that burden and all the communication that comes along with that. I mean, I just want to tell you, I'm not complaining here, but I I answer hundreds of emails every single week, and it takes a fair amount of time. I'm not complaining. That's part of people ministry. I love to communicate. That's a good thing. But what happens when pastors can be alleviated from, you know, 50 emails and 45 details in the life of a church so that, you know what, maybe our sermons might be a little bit better than they are right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure how you feel about that, but Let's add some deacons and we'll see how it goes, all right? All right, I'm off that soapbox. Uh, Deacon of corporate worship, man, all the details that come together. We have serve team leaders right now, but we don't have any kind of deacon that is overseeing all of the execution of this ministry, which means Tanner and John and John lock up every week. We get here at eight o'clock most weeks. That's okay. We want to serve like Jesus, right? But 
this is why you have deacons in the life of the church, to serve together, to release some of the burden. Deacon of the ordinances. Man, we just had a baptism. So that means I am calling church planters. Hey, can we borrow a, a tank to baptize people? I'm calling Anthony. Me and Anthony are going to get the tank. Again, don't hear me as complaining here. I'm just painting a picture of all of the different responsibilities that have to be executed in the life of the church. You hear me, right? You guys who know me know I'm not complaining. I love to serve. We love to serve. Our leaders love to serve. This is just the reality in the life of a church, right? You get it. You know how these things work. Deacon of technology, website, videos, audio, all these things. Deacon of facility maintenance. This boys and girls club that we love so much, right? Helping out, just little things to maybe bless them and help what happens on Sundays. All of these are opportunities to serve and meet practical needs in the life of the church. And let me, let me just say this, okay? This is important work. This is very important work. The apostles, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they are praying for these seven men who are full of the spirit and faith and wisdom and of good repute, and they are laying their hands on them, not in some kind of magical way like, God, now that we've laid our hands on them, you're going to do something awesome, but just as a way to say, you are commissioned and set apart for this kind of special work of service in the life of our church, and God then works through these people. He works through the leadership so that a church can be healthy and a church can experience, number three, the results that come from a well-ordered church. Growing churches should enjoy the blessing that follows serving in God's ways. Okay, what is the result for deacons? It actually says it at the end of the Timothy passage, chapter three, verse 13, it says this, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So be encouraged, okay? If, if you are to ever serve as a deacon of Redemption Hill, and I pray that many of you who are listening to this sermon one day will serve as a deacon, you will not only prove that you are walking with God and, and being used by him in the ways that he sees fit. I think that's part of what it means when they, it says receive a good standing in the sight of others, but also your confidence and the faith will grow. This is really good, by the way. When you serve Jesus, you are strengthened by Jesus. Anybody like is more blessed to give than receive? Like, so when you serve, you think you were going to bless others, but then when you woke up at 8 a.m., or no, sorry, you woke up at 6 or 6.30 or some of the guys, 7.15, to get here at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning to serve, you realize that you're blessed because, man, God loves to bless those who are willing to humble themselves and serve others. Anybody on the serve team ever felt that? Can I get a witness? Don't let me down. Come on, a little higher. I can't see you. What, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. So we receive great confidence in the faith. God builds us up when we serve him in these ways. But what about the church? That's just for the deacon. What about the church? Well, let's look back in Acts chapter 6. Verse 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what happens, okay, 
adding deacons does not guarantee that Redemption Hill will grow numerically. Doesn't guarantee it, okay? So don't like come back a few months from, you know, whatever next year. That's not what the text is saying. But, it, but I think we can conclude that when the church orders itself in a healthy manner, not only is it going to help meet internal needs in the life of the church, but it will position a church to then more holistically spread the gospel outside of the church walls. So when the number of disciples are increasing, multiplying, even priests who are not yet receiving Jesus are coming to faith in Christ, some of the most unlikely people perhaps are coming to faith in Christ, man, there is great celebration because the gospel is on the move. So I want to ask you this. Do you see why we would want to implement the ministry of deacons in the life of our church? We want to, as a growing church in Medford, Massachusetts, we want to see a growing number of servants who would say, you know what, I'll dedicate myself to God's work as, as the church sees fit to meet some needs, and I'm going to seek to be this kind of Christian that would be qualified for that service so that the church can thrive, so that the church can be healthy, so that the church can advance in the mission that God has given to us. And what is the greatest motivation for our service? What is the greatest motivation to pursue godly character in all of our ways? The motivation in every instance is the gospel. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus delighted to do the will of the Father. He hated wickedness and loved righteousness. So it's the gospel that enables us to enter the Christian life, and it's the gospel that enables us to serve and thrive in the Christian life. So I want to say to you, Redemptional Church, let's go. Let's be a church that gets this. Let's be a church that loves and serves one another, that pursues godliness with everything that we have so that we can be this kind of a church. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you and your wisdom have chosen to organize the church to be this missionary organization, not a, an institution that is after power, but a, a group of people that want to simply serve you and serve those around us. So God, I pray that even as we think about this as redemptional, even as we take steps in the months ahead to implement deacons in the life of our church, God, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us guidance, that you would help us to see those who are already serving really well and those that are already displaying these qualities and characteristics. Father, that you might receive glory, that, that the gospel might go forth, that your light might blaze forth among us so that in all things you would receive glory. So God, I pray that you would work on our hearts even now as we sing and respond to you. God, I pray that you would humble us, that you would give us more of the hearts of servants like Jesus who did not, uh, did not uh, count, count others uh, lower than themselves, but he, he counted others better than himself to the point of death. 
Lord, would you, would you equip us for this kind of posture to be a serving church and a God-glorifying church? Help us to, to, to turn back to you, to turn away from our selfishness, to turn towards selflessness, to turn away from any wickedness that we would be harboring in our heart. Lord, I know the temptation abounds through the week and some people even hearing these qualifications are thinking, man, I don't measure up. I'm, I'm not there yet. God, if, if people are not there yet, grow them to the point where they would be there, whether you ever have them serve as a deacon or deaconess or not. Lord, we just wanna be a church that pleases you in all things. So God, even as we sing these, this song and the words to this song, that they would encourage us to be a church that is all for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.